0: We continue in our sermon series on Old Testament prophets, and if you are collecting the prophet cards, they are at the back of the sanctuary on your way out. This morning's prophet or prophetess is Miriam. If you want the other ones, there are still some on our welcome table. Each week we give you a prophet card with information about that prophet. We also have a picture Pictures get hung up down in the hallway, and children are also drawing their own prophets. So we're actually going to do an art show in December with the prophet pictures that we have, along with what the children of our church have drawn. drawn. This morning, we are looking at Miriam. Now, I'm not a huge movie buff, but I do like some sports movies. Have any of you seen the movie The Blind Side? Raise your hand. Okay, pretty familiar movie, also sort of appropriate this time of year because it is a football movie. It's a story of a young man whose name is Michael Oden who ends up going to a Christian school. He gets adopted by a family, and he becomes the left tackle, first of his high school team, then he goes to Old Miss, and eventually he plays, I believe, for the Baltimore Ravens. Not going to talk about the movie, and not going to talk about his life, it's a true story. But the movie begins by explaining what the blind side is in football. And it goes right back to the time of something that Regina and I saw live, and maybe some of you did also. I remember watching it and going, I cannot believe I just saw what I did. And then, of course, they played it again, and again, and again, and again, and it got imprinted into our memory which was the injury of Joe Thiesman? Do any of us remember that injury? Very tragic injury. I believe it was Lawrence Taylor who um, tackled him, and his leg was broken very severely. After that, the tackle on the left side is called the Blindside position, and became a very important position, even though it was a position in football that previously hadn't really been thought of as that important. It was just one more of the lineman, and everybody always thinks of the quarterback, they think of the wide receivers, maybe running backs, perhaps a kicker, maybe a, you know, whatever. I'm not a huge football player, but those are the positions that, that all get attention. And all of a sudden, there was a discovery and a realization that because of the way in which a Quarterback, if they're right-handed, needs to be able to be protected from somebody over in that spot that the particular position was that left tackle, the blind side, so that a person who previously didn't really understand how important their role was, or maybe they did and nobody else did, all of a sudden after the Theisman injury, everybody got, wow, is that an important position? That's a lot like life. There are things that happen in life and people who are involved in our lives and ourselves included who don't get all the attention, but our position in what we do is extremely important. I remember a church that I went out and did an annual meeting for and a gentleman had passed away that last year in their church and all of a sudden when he passed away, they discovered all the stuff that this guy did to keep the church going. Next church week they came to church, he died suddenly of a heart attack, they came, there's no heat on. And there were no bulletins. And they just kept finding out all this stuff that this person had done that nobody had ever thought about. When we think of Miriam, and our idea this morning is be a Miriam, sort of think of her as that blindside tackle. The person who doesn't get a lot of attention in life, but at the other hand, they're absolutely essential. And a lot of times for us as individuals, That's more how we see our role in life. And that's why it's important to realize we are the body of Christ. We are part of families. We're part of companies where we work. We have all these different relationships. Our lives are essential. But you don't have to be Tom Brady to be important. You don't have to be, and I I did notice my friend Ted coming into church today. I said, you're confusing everybody. If they look at you on the front, they think you're cheering for the Patriots. But if they look on the back, they think you're cheering for Tom Brady. Nobody has any idea, and I said, don't tell anybody who you're cheering for today. You don't have to be Tom Brady to be important to a sports team. You don't have to be, you put your name in there to be important in the relationships you have, including your relationships with Faith Community Church and your family and every part of our lives. That's why as we look at Miriam, we're talking about the story Of the children of Israel coming out of slavery, crossing the Red Sea, going through the desert for 40 years, and a lot of times we think of Moses, or Charlton Heston, depending on what your preference is if you watch the Ten Commandments, but that's sort of where all the attention is given. The problem with that is that's not what the Bible teaches. That's our perspective on things. Instead, we need to understand the power of a team. Our relationship with God is important. It's our relationship with God. And our work with God and the things God does in our life is important. But it's also important to realize that the way that God does his work in our world is through teams, not through individuals. That doesn't mean that individuals don't have a place, and it doesn't mean that sometimes people don't stand up with leadership. But the vast majority of what happens in our world, the good things that happen, including in our families and our churches, happen in a team. So if you look at Micah 6.4, you hear these words, and they sound very different than what we think of the story of Moses, when God says, I sent Moses to lead you also, Aaron and Miriam. Miriam. You see, the prophet, looking at the whole experience of the children of Israel coming out of slavery, realized that God said, this was not a one-man show. There were three people who were leading the nation of Israel. Moses was one. Aaron and Miriam made up a team. Hear the difference? Moses was one. Aaron and Miriam, the brother and sister, made up a team. It's similar to what we read in Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes 4.12 says, Though a man may prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him, but a threefold cord is not quickly broken. See, one is a person, two is a couple, and three becomes a team. And that's what we're called to be as Christians, is to learn the importance of learning to work together. That's why so many of us are concerned about the division in our country. Amen? We need to be together. We need to be united. Jesus himself said, a house divided will fall. It is a biblical concept. It is a biblical concept. The principle of a team. For Moses alone would have failed without the support of Aaron, and both were vulnerable had Miriam not made it a team. A team, if someone goes out on a dance floor, I know this because I always sit, my wife and I don't dance. So we go to a wedding, and the wedding is over, and now the dance is taking place. And they're trying to get everybody out on the dance floor. People will say to us, why don't you go dance? You know, if the pastor would go start, everybody would follow. And we will sit there and smile and say, yeah, ain't going to happen. I think one time we went on a dance floor years ago. Trust me, it won't happen. But this is what I observe. Sometimes somebody will go out to try to get everybody to, to join the dance. You know what happens? Everybody else sits there and goes, that's kind of awkward. <laughs> somebody else will go follow with them, and they'll be dancing together and go, what a pretty couple. How nice they are together. But you get the third person, everybody starts getting up and they're comfortable. And now you've got a team, and people go join the dance. I was talking to my son, who's a special ed teacher, and he said, you know, that's the principle we use in special ed all the time. You try to get three people. Once you get three students doing something, then you get a buy-in. Otherwise, life just kind of becomes awkward. That's because most people don't want to be the spotlight. Now, you may be here today as the most superstar Christian. You may be the next Billy Graham ready to set the world on fire. But please, again, remember Cliff Barrows was still there. There still were others who were part of that team. And that may be your calling in life. But probably not for most of us. For most of us, it's to be part of that team. To find our place and say, how can I be part of? And not how do I have to be the center stage or how do I become the person who everybody looks to? I was even thinking about that with regards to the Celtics. Again, I don't know a lot about football and baseball because in our family, we are Celtics fans. I don't know if you all know, but on Monday, two amazing things are happening. My granddaughter Ruby is turning two years old. Let's all cheer for her. Awesome. <laughs> Second important thing is happening, the Celtics are having their first preseason game. So after we celebrate her birthday, Regina and I are going to be sitting and watching the Celtics. Well number of years ago, the Celtics had been through a drought. Remember, they were a great team in the 60s, amazing dynasty. Then in the 80s, the 70s, they were good. 80s, they have the Bird Parish McHale dynasty, again a team. And then, you know, you, you get the rest of the players who join. All of a sudden now, in the 2000s, they wanted to build another great team. Celtics have Paul Pierce. And so they bring in Ray Allen, which you can go back and check. Sports writers say that was a stupid move. How are Ray Allen and Paul Pierce going to make any difference? Now, the only time I've ever had a really famous person in a worship service is one time Ray Allen was in a service here at Faith Communities Church. It was Plymouth United Methodist Church at the time. It was a funeral. It was a huge funeral. The place was packed. Service was over, and people came up to me and said, Did you see Ray Allen? He was here. I said, You've got to be kidding. The one time I have a chance to have Ray Allen in my church, and the church is so packed I didn't see him. So unfortunately, I didn't see it. But legend has, from everybody else who was here, Ray Allen did attend. Here's the thing. Ray Allen and Paul Pierce seemed like a foolish move. Why are the Celtics paying so much money to bring this guy in? But you know what they did next? They brought in Kevin Garnett. Now you had the big three. Go look what happens. They end up winning an NBA championship and become another one of the great teams in basketball. Power trios, we could call it. Not that it ends with a team of three. That's where the team begins, and that's what Miriam did. She began the team leadership of the children of Israel and the nation of Israel. I was thinking about that in life. Of all the famous teams that really just start with three, the three amigos, the three musketeers, perhaps most famous of all, Huey, Dewey, and Louie, Or how about the Three Stooges? Do we have any Ferris Bueller fans here? Ferris, Cameron, and Sloan. On Star Trek, it's not just James Kirk, it's Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. If you go to rock music, you get the police. The Jimi Hendrix experience. We'll try this one. I brought this to my son, and he thought he knew more about classic rock music than me. See if my congregation is smarter than my son. Mark Don and Mel. I heard it. Grand Funk Railroad, thank you. I was there for one of their concerts, Fargo, North Dakota. We'll talk after worship. <laughs> Scripture. You come to the disciples, certainly a team, but. Most importantly, the center of that team and where it becomes together is Peter, James, and John. And don't forget that the gospel needed to go across the world, and we give the Apostle Paul so much credit. But go check the book of Acts. It's Paul, Barnabas, and Timothy. You see, behind every leader is a number two, and most important to make a team, you need the number three. So as we start thinking of our relationship with so many things in life, we have to say, How am I encouraging and being part of a team so I can be a Miriam? Alcoholics Anonymous is an amazing institution that has literally transformed the way and we work with people who struggle with things in their life, particularly addictions. It begins when Bill Wilson, who is an alcoholic, starts to get sober. And he gets to the point where he's in a Bible study called the Oxford Group, and he is able to take a job again, and he travels to Akron, Ohio. When he gets to Akron, Ohio, he's struggling, and he fortunately, I would say providentially, reaches out to a pastor. He just randomly calls a pastor and tells what's going on, and the pastor says, I think I know somebody that you can talk to, and that becomes Dr. Bob. And so the two of them meet together at the Cyberling Estate, which is the Goodyear entire family. They meet together, and, and they talk, and they realize together they can form a partnership, and they can keep each other sober. With God's help, the two of them can do it. But you know what they also realize? That only means two people are going to be helped. They need a team. And so they pray about it, and they realize that there is a ward at the Akron City Hospital where people are detoxing, and they go there, and on June 28, 1935, Bill Dotson, the person that everybody forgets, makes the team of Alcoholics Anonymous a new institution is born in our society, and millions of people have been helped ever since. Bill Dotson also was resistant when they first talked to him, but he stayed sober for 19 years before he gave his life. He never took another drink. You see, God wants us to understand the importance of roles like Miriam and realizing we need to team together in our lives, in our faith, in our families. So many times we try to take on something alone and we wonder why there's no success. We pray and we say, God, help me. Who's the team you're building? Last night after our worship service, one of the elderly women in our congregation came up to me and told me about her team. And shared with me, said, you know, Pastor Stan, I am sitting there thinking of how I have a team that helps me and gets me through all the things that I'm dealing with in life. That's learning to be a Miriam. There's a biblical concept of how God wants us to work together. But that's not the only thing we learn about Miriam. We also discover that we need to learn to see opportunities and not obstacles. Far too many people go through life just seeing problems everywhere. And I'm sorry. I'm a great person for you to bring your problems to. And a lot of times I'll say, are we complaining? Or do we want to be successful here? And sometimes people just want to talk about the problems, and there's a place for that. But Miriam didn't just see the obstacles or the problems in life. She saw the opportunities. When there was something wrong... Miriam saw how God could use her to make a difference. It's a way to live our lives. In Exodus chapter 15, verse 20, we start seeing why Miriam is the one who sees opportunities. Because we're told that then Miriam, the prophet, Aaron's sister, took a tambourine in her hand and all the women followed her with tambourines and dancing. What that is a description of is the moment that they get to the Red Sea and the Red Sea parts, and Moses and Aaron are trying to lead people, and they're trying to get from one side of the Red Sea to the other, and think about the chaos. Think of what's going on at that moment. You think you got chaos in your life? Go think of a sea separating, people not knowing where to go, and nobody can grab a microphone, because they don't have microphones. And nobody can send out text messages. How are we going to do this? Total chaos. Have you ever been in a, in, in a place where there's chaos, and somebody's trying to herd people and make a change? I was thinking back to when I was in high school. There was a football game that I was watching, a high school game. The two top teams in our conference were playing, and both of them were, were ranked in the state. Our team that year became the state champions in football. The game ended, gun goes off, everybody rushes onto the field. The problem was there were three seconds left in the game, and they needed to get everybody off the field. You think that's an easy thing to do? Total chaos. Announcements over microphones, referees pushing people back. One side, our side, that was behind and and hoping that the last play was going to win the game for us. We were willing to go back. Others weren't willing to go back. Total chaos ensued. That's what the Bible tells us happens in the parting of the Red Sea. There's total chaos. But in the midst of chaos, Miriam saw an opportunity. Bible says Miriam picks up a tambourine in her hand and starts singing and gets other women to singing. And all of a sudden, all the women are singing with Miriam, and they start walking forward. 50% of the problem just got solved by part of the team. That's pretty good. Look at the opportunities. There's a chaos. There's a problem in our our world. Somebody's all upset. Don't enter into the chaos and the problem. Look at his opportunity. Maybe God wants me to take a moment here and pray with somebody. Why don't I give you a little bit of comfort, and let's pull aside, and let's have a prayer? There's a problem, a health crisis in our family, and somebody's going through a difficulty, and everybody's all upset. We can pause, and we can bear witness to Christ's love and say, you know, here's a Bible passage that's been helpful for me. Let me share it with you. That's learning to be a Miriam. Again, Romans 8.28 gives us that same principle when it says we know that all things, God is working for good if we love God and are fitting into his plans. Hear that? So Miriam lived her life. There's chaos going on, and thousands of years before Paul pens those words, she was already living them and saying, You know, in all of this chaos and all the stuff that's going on here, God's working for good. That is a promise, but it's also a perspective. It's a promise. When you're going through tough times when your family's going through tough times when your work is going through tough times when your country's going through tough times when your church is going through tough times god promises to work for good in it but at the same time god says that's a perspective that we need to carry as christians we need to see the opportunity the way miriam did and then notice in verse 21 miriam's words sing to the lord for he's highly exalted Horse and driver have been hurled into the sea. She is able to point out to the fact that God is faithful and doing something good. So as people are going forward and all concerned about their future, which they needed to be, because for 200 years they've lived under another government, and now all of a sudden they're marching to the other side of the Red Sea where they're going to have to figure out life for themselves Think of that. You got a whole nation coming together. Now we get to figure out how to be a nation. There's great chaos there. And Miriam says, God's faithful. Let's think about God's faithfulness. Let's think about God's deliverance. Let's realize that God has given us an opportunity to lead and go forward and know that God will never let us down. Amen? Amen. That's who we are as followers of Christ the people to be like Miriam, to proclaim the goodness of God no matter the situation because Miriam found the opportunity to point out the faithfulness of God as she led the women from one side of the Red Sea to the other. But the last thing we need to learn about Miriam, if we want to be a Miriam, is to live a courageous faith. Not to live in fear, not to cower before all the problems that happen around us, not to think that somehow woe is me and I cannot believe what a tough life God has given to me. Because right at the very beginning of her story, when we first hear about Miriam, we go to that moment where Pharaoh has the children of Israel and they're captive in Egypt. And Pharaoh puts out a command We're going to kill all the little boys. All the babies, two years and under. And all of a sudden, there's panic that, that reaches out. And Moses' mother, realizing she's going to lose her child, takes him and puts him in a basket and sends him down the Nile River. Now, if all that had happened is she had done that, Moses would have been rescued. Everything still would have proceeded the same way. He would have been pulled out of the water. Pharaoh's daughter was the one who finds him. She decides to take him as her own son and he would have been raised as an Egyptian child with no contact with anybody else and nobody ever would have known and Moses never would have known of his history and who he was and his entire ability to lead the children of Israel later never would have happened. However, listen as I read from Exodus chapter 2 verses 4 through 9 about his sister. Think of a 12-year-old girl at this point and hear her courageous faith. Miriam stood at a distance to know what would be done to the baby Moses. Hear that? Moses is going down the river, and Miriam comes along and says, I'm just going to walk along, and I'm going to see what happens. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river, and while the young women walked beside her on the river, she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant to go get it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. And she took pity on him and said, This must be one of the Hebrew children. Verse 7 Then his sister Miriam, notice who's living a courageous faith. Notice who's in the middle of the story. Rest of the family is somewhere else, but the 13 year old girl is down there, Miriam, goes up to Pharaoh's daughter. And says, "Shall I go and call a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse for your child?" And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, "Go." So Miriam went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, "Take this child away and nurse him, and I will give you wages—a basket in the Nile." Miriam's there; she's living by courage. She knows that God is with her. But not only that, the Scripture tells us. She approaches Pharaoh's daughter. This kid walks up to the, the daughter of the guy who's got all the power and says, hey, I'd like to give you a suggestion here. You don't think that's a courageous faith? Fear is a major theme in Scripture. Because over 365 times we are told, do not be afraid. For every day in the year... There's a Bible text that tells us, do not be afraid. What was Mary told? Fear not. Throughout scripture, it's about learning not to be afraid. If Miriam had let fear control her, Moses would have never known he was an Israelite. As I was thinking about that, and I was thinking about what fear does to us, I got thinking about D-Day. The young man from the Allies crossed the English Channel, and they stormed, Normandy Beach. And what they do is they run across the beach as, as gunfire shot down at them from a cliff. At the top of the cliff, the Nazis had all of their guns and and all of their, their things to protect the beach and they're firing down on these men and they get right up against the wall. And there's a big cliff and as they're up against the wall they realize we're terrified. <laughs> this is a scary situation. And they stop there at the wall. And they have an opportunity now. If I'm going to be afraid, I guess I can turn around and I can run back, but you know what would happen if they turned around and they ran back? They'd die. That would have been fear. Or they could have stayed there. I'm afraid, I don't want to get shot at. Do you know what happens if they stay there? They die. And then they had a third choice. We can live by courage. And so they regrouped, and about two hours later, they started climbing up the wall. They still knew that there was danger. They still knew that they would be shot at. They still knew that life would be difficult, but they knew that if they made the courageous decision and went forward, that they would deliver Western Europe, and Hitler could be defeated. That's the difference between courage and living by fear. Because a lot of times, that's where we are in life. We're at a place where we're afraid, and if we start letting fear dominate us, the decisions we make are not going to make our lives any better. I like to say a lot of times, no decision is a decision. I just don't want to deal with this. That's living by fear. I can't make a decision right now. That's living by fear. Life doesn't get better when we live by fear. God invites us to be a Miriam. God invites us to live a courageous faith to step out by faith and to know that God is with us. And so, as we come to the end of looking at another one of our prophets, I'm going to ask you the question that God asked to all of us as we were graduating as a seminary class of, I don't know, I was in seminary far too many years, probably 1988. I was there six or seven years for a three-year program. I love to remind people of that when they say, my schooling is going too slow. I go, I don't know. I went to a four-year college. It took me five years. I went to a three-year seminary. It took me six or seven years. I don't know what's too slow is. But I finally got through, and I'm at convocation, and the person who delivered the message asked a basic question. If you had absolutely no fear of failure, what good thing would you do for God? Now go out and do it. That's learning to live life, as a Miriam. You see, Miriam teaches us the importance of being part of a team, of seeing the opportunities in our life instead of the obstacles, and learning to live a courageous faith. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and your love. We thank you for people like Miriam who show us through the scripture how to live. We pray this morning that we could learn that we don't have to be the center of things, but we do need to trust in you always. Help us be okay with finding our place, living our life by faith, learning to work together with others, realizing that someone else may take the spotlight, but that's okay because we see the opportunities of life and not the obstacles, and help us to boldly go forth to face all that you have in our lives that we could live the principle of Romans 8.28. That in all things, Heavenly Father, you are working for good. It's our responsibility to claim the promise and see what you're doing. In Christ's name we pray.